AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. Well, Matt, at the risk of uh, getting hungry for Mexican food, I understand that you have a story about guacamole. I do have a story about guacamole. So this is specific to Apache guacamole, which is actually a remote access setup uh, from the Apache Foundation. So Checkpoint's security researchers just released a report saying that they found some critical vulnerabilities in Apache guacamole that not only allow you to attack uh, the guacamole server, but also attack people who connect to it, which is pretty interesting. They're calling these like reverse RDP vulnerabilities based on some earlier research they've done into RDP. So guacamole lets you do um, things like VNC RDP SSH through like a friendly web interface in HTML5. So you don't have to install thick clients. It's very nice to be able to just jump onto a box remotely that way. Uh, and I've used it in the past and it is a cool tool. Uh, unfortunately, uh, these bugs exist. Um, some of them are in free RDP, which I think is a component or somehow tied to Apache Guacamole. So they're, they're able to do a couple different things with it. But ultimately, the, the good thing here is that these bugs were found back in May and patched silently for some of the older versions. And the final version of uh, Guacamole has these completely fixed. So if you are at the latest version of Apache Guacamole, you are set. Otherwise, it is time for you to go and look at what version you've got and make sure you get patched. But there are patches. So, so Matt, I mean, does that mean that they have to patch both the client and the server? So for most people, the client is just a web browser, and I don't think they need to have to patch it. Um, but when you start talking about these sorts of gateway things, client and server get a little bit muddled. Um, but ultimately, I hope I can answer it by saying you can take over a machine that's behind Apache Guacamole, something you're trying to remote into, and then from that compromised machine, compromise the guacamole framework and then get the keys you need to jump into all the other boxes that are behind it. So like if you compromise one guacamole machine, you can compromise all of the other ones. Hope that helps. Yeah, I just, I'm just thinking of the, the, the whole, the consequences just seem kind of scary. I mean, like you said, it's patched, but it just seems scary. You think about here's your, your whole VPN infrastructure that could allow somebody to kind of backdoor into it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't exactly call it VPN because it's not really a tunneling protocol so much as it's more like a, it's kind of like Citrix where you, you have like a, a master jump box through which you can access uh, the desktops of a whole bunch of other machines. Got it. Right, and then yeah. if you compromise that, you can basically act as a middleman, right? Um, right, not necessarily really for men in the middle, but at least you gain access yeah. to a bunch of other machines that you generally wouldn't have access to. Like if, if someone's, for example, set up a cluster of like each person has a machine behind Guacamole and you log in as Manish and you get to access Manish's machine with the bug, you get to access everybody's machine. Ah, uh, understood. And it's a set of bugs. So it's, it's, a, it's very detailed. I actually recommend everyone read the whole article uh, because there's a lot of details in there that I'm glossing over here. If I remember too, a lot of a lot of this, like I said, is patched, but like a lot of guacamole stuff has kind of gotten a, a lot of uh, interest just because of all the remote desktop due to the COVID right. sure. pandemic. Yeah. There are more users doing it. And honestly, it's it's being treated kind of like a package in certain other remote access systems. Like someone else will include it. It's the same kind of thing as having any one of those older, like if you have a bug in libc, right? You know, you can patch libc, but if it's not replaced everywhere it's being used, you still have a, a problem. It's kind of like that, except this is much, you know, it's a different kind of, of package, but it's it's still a component that people 
may or may not realize they're using as part of something else that they're they're using in their company. It's just scary. I, that's the only thing I keep thinking of. It, it always makes yeah, me know. Especially now where, you know, there's probably a lot of companies that, you know, needed to set up some infrastructure for allowing their employees to access what they needed because they can't get into the office and they may have just rushed into deploying this and not really uh, configured it correctly, haven't patched it and probably aren't even sure how it fully works. Well, that sounds like the same old story. But yeah. <laughs> Hey, John, I have you have a story about when Androids attack. Yeah, kind of. It's the uh, kind of same old, same old, same old, I guess, is the uh, way to say it. About a week ago or so, a French company called Avena, which I probably butchered that a little bit. My French pronunciation is not the greatest. Um, found uh, it's basically a, a library, a bunch of apps that were using this function call. Kind of an interesting um, mechanism that this malware was, you know, this, this library, malicious library was using in that it would, when you go to authenticate or do some functions, it would pop up a Facebook prompt. You know, like typically like a lot of apps do that, you know, like leverage the Facebook credentials. And what it was doing is that rather than actually using that API to Facebook, it was actually popping up the browser, creating that interface to Facebook, and then uh, when you entered your credentials, it was capturing those credentials and shooting them off to whatever server uh, they wish to, including some that uh, happen to be in uh, some countries where you may not want your user ID and password to go to. So, you know, so, you know they reported this to Google Play, um, or to Google, I should say, and Google, you know, removed these from the Play Store, which they're, they're pretty good about uh, any credible issues with it and uh, you know but there was a, a good number of these like about 25 or so of these apps just recently you know when we hear about this you know like I said fairly regularly the um, good thing about when Google removes these is that your Android phone has a, a feature called play protect and what play protect will actually do is it'll pop up a message that says you know hey this this app's no longer there um, you know kind of a warning you can Sometimes, you, depending on, on the settings and whatnot, you might be able to run the app. But typically, you would say, you know, don't run this app. It doesn't remove the product from your phone, but it does, you know, warn you that it's not, not the best thing to have there and it's no longer on the, the Google Play Store. You know, and it, and, it, and it certainly speaks to, you know, the need to kind of be careful about what you install on your phone, make sure your settings are and privacy settings are all, you know, up, up to par, up to date. And you know that you're you're paying attention to the the things that happen on your phone. Yeah, I think it's a good point that uh, you know if there's apps that you're not using, you try to you know clean them off of your off of your device if uh, you know because there's no reason to have that as a risk when if you're not even using it. So. You know, I think it's interesting that you've this is something that I, most users of a, a phone probably don't understand that the the apps are kind of aware of each other. Uh, that one can kind of tell that Facebook is just about to run and then pop up something in front of it to uh, to mess with it. Um, they kind of assume that, you know, I clicked Facebook, and the next thing that's going to show up on my phone is going to be Facebook, right? That seems reasonable. Yeah, you're leveraging Facebook credentials. I mean, I get that a lot of times with apps. You know, it says, do you want to enter your own user ID password or create an account, or do you just want to use your Facebook credential? Log in with Facebook, so, right? Yeah. yeah. And, 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 I'll do, and I'll do, you know, I mean, you know, we, we love, you know, that, 
that single sign-on, you know, that federated authentic, you know, authentication and credentialing, it's it's nice, you know. But but in this case, you know, you might get fooled just because they're 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 popping that Facebook, you know, those Facebook prompts up in front of you, in what appears to be a normal fashion, but it's it's actually you know through a browser that's malicious. Yeah, like I said, I, yeah. I think the, the the key here is is you know you kind of keep an eye on. I think you said Manish too is, is you know if you're not using an app, get rid of it. Um, okay. If you are using it, it's acting kind of funky. <laughs> get rid of it. And, get rid of and, it. Yeah. And, and then, and then, and then, you know, if if you don't want to use those other credentials, then don't. You know, don't don't necessarily use those if you if you don't have to. I mean, they're they're good. They're right. shortcuts, and and I don't think that there's a lot of security issues with it. However, sometimes you may not want that. Yeah, I mean, I I like the fact that you know it's convenient, but at the same time, you know, having been told for years and years use a different password everywhere. It, it kind of violates that, right? It, it, it kind of means that your your password is your password everywhere. Granted, you're you're authenticating all through the same system ultimately, but it does open up everything with one password. So, you know, I don't I don't really use it all that often. It's very nice to have that feature, but you know, is it worth the risk, right? Especially, you know, you know, a lot of people have a lot of information on their Facebook accounts, and to have that compromised. You know, you're potentially giving up a lot of your security and other parts of your life, which is that to me does not seem like a uh, enough of a payoff for the convenience. Yeah, and, and the other good thing is, is like modern phones. I mean, most modern phones, most modern apps too. Is you enter a user, you know, you can create your own user ID and password. And we always say, oh, I hate to have to remember different passwords, but most of the phones now have some kind of a safe if you want to use that, and and those are right. pretty secure. And and so you know if you just want to use that and, and let it I, I know in my Apple phone you'll say you know select a password and it gives a password that I'll never ever remember in a million years you know and and that's great because I'm not going to write it down it's in my safe if you know if I choose to use it and and you know it's it's there and nobody's really nobody's going to break into it but uh, yeah like I said it, it it speaks to, it speaks I think this kind of thing just speaks to the you know like you said you you know you all saying is keep an eye on your apps and just know if they're asking, actually a little funny or you see, hey, uh, somebody just posted something on Facebook to my account. What, <laughs> you know, or, you know, that's little, 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 little things that, you know, you may not pay attention to, but you, you, you really should. Manish, it looks like you've got a story for us about the F5 big IP network hardware and a critical remote code execution vulnerability. What can you tell us? That's right, Matt. Um, so there's been reports of uh, uh, scanning that's being observed just, just two days after F5 announced the vulnerability in the big IP appliances. Uh, and the CV is 2020-5902. The, the vulnerability is found in the big IP traffic management user interface. And it allows for the, you know, like you mentioned, remote code execution and directory traversal, right? So, you know, these are typically perimeter devices and, and you know, the big uh, criticality of this is the compromise in that on one of those single devices. It uh, means that the network behind that that device, you know, it also has the potential to be compromised. And you know, if there's no other mitigating controls, right? And according to the article, the exploit itself is fairly simple. Uh, you know, it's just three characters appended. Three characters? That's crazy. Yeah, That's uh, three characters. Um, and so this is a. a a management interface, right? This is what I'm understanding. Is this something right. that you would use if you owned this important? Is this something that's, that's typically right. configured to be internet facing? It is not. It should be unreachable. And okay. uh, and the good thing is, uh, you know, from the uh, scanning that's been going on, the the legitimate scanning, 
you know, it's only about, uh, you know, majority of them are not vulnerable to this because they do, they're not, you know, the, the management interface is not uh, reachable. Um, so, but there are definitely uh, a good number of devices that are, um, many of them are based in the U.S. Uh, and there's a smaller uh, percentage, I think 40% of the, you know, from the article were based in the U.S. And I think 16 in China and a few other countries, 16% China. So, wow. you know, it's especially now, you know, it's pretty critical um, to have your, you know, these perimeter devices, uh, you know, working properly, um, you know, because, uh, you know, an exploit in that, you know, allowing an, uh, an attacker to get to your internal network. Um, you know, that could be really, um, really devastating, especially, you know, used in conjunction with some sort of like, uh, you know, um, you know, dis destructive malware or something like that, that could be pretty, uh, pretty impactful. And my, my, in my personal history, you know, when, back when I had firewall management responsibilities, you know, we interfaced quite a bit with, you know, with F5 and the big IP space, you know, because of the low balancer. I, I know right. that sometimes you can get, you know, a little keys to the kingdom is you got into that load balancer, especially if you entered, you know, you had admin password, you know, put a back door, you know, you've got a lot of control and a lot of access. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's pretty scary. Uh, and, uh, you know, at the very, if, you know, obviously patch, um, and also, you know, if, if you find that this is reachable from the internet, make sure you, uh, you know, change that very quickly to make it unreachable. Because like I said, the, the, you know, the attack itself is pretty simple. You know, there's there's proof of concept code on, uh, you know, on, on the internet, um, you know, people posting it on social media. Uh, so it's out there and, you know, it's just a matter of time if you're vulnerable and, if it, and reachable from the internet. Mm. So what do you, what do you, what do you recommend you know, people do that have these, these appliances? So, you know, there, there is a, uh, a patch available. So obviously, um, you know, make sure you're patching regularly um and then again you know there's i think um you know in the vulnerable in the release from uh f5 i think they walk you know they walk you through making sure like the configurations to make sure that that uh, panel is not reachable from the internet um uh so uh, you know i would obviously follow the guidance in their in their release you know i think it's probably a good exercise for people who don't have these to just take a few minutes and take a look at the devices they do have that have management interfaces right. and ensure they're not exposed. Cause like the first right. step to being vulnerable to this is putting your management interface on the internet in the first place. Like even if it is something that's typically authenticated, it's not a good move. I mean, it's also, right. I wonder right. if, I wonder if your companies, you know, sh shouldn't be looking like at Shodan just to see if any of their IT ranges, you know, what, what are my IT ranges are on, you know, are in the Shodan reports, you know, what is, is it, is it something I don't want there? <laughs> that's a great idea. Yeah. Take a look at your IP ranges, or if you happen to have a, a real, a full Shodan account, you can do more involved searches to try and find stuff that belongs to you. Uh, but yeah, it's worth doing. Right, uh, it's a great point, Matt. You know, it's just, uh, you know, while this is about F5 uh, appliances, you know, you should really just be paying particular attention. They should call out that, you know, not just what, you know, if you don't have this device or appliance, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing this anyway, right? All right, folks, let's take a look at this week's internet weather. These are the top 10 most pro ports for the last week. Uh, as you can see, there's not a whole lot of movers and shakers. In fact, only two of the top 10 have moved. Um, so I'll just rattle them off quickly here. 
Uh, in first place is 23 TCP, which is Telnet. And actually, that's a remarkably small slice of the pie now that I look at it. Um, I'm used to Telnet being much, much bigger. Uh, second place is 445 TCP, that is SMB, probably some leftover uh, WannaCry scanning or somebody else trying to exploit the same uh, vulnerabilities. Third place is 80ICMP, that's ping. 22 TCP is SSH, 80 TCP is plain old web, uh, 443 TCP is HTTPS, 81 TCP is another alternate web port. Sometimes we see that with certain IoT devices. Uh, 8080 TCP is another another web port. Um, again, sometimes IoT, a lot of times you'll see proxies on that port as well. Uh, that's up by one. And in 10th place, somehow coming out of nowhere with uh, a change of 14 slots is 5555. That's from Android Remote Debug Bridge. So that one we'll be looking a little closer at. That uh, 5555 is always up and down. Yep. Like. Oh, it's a, it's a it's a good one too. I mean, these are people who are putting yeah. Android devices right on the internet. Um, I think a lot of them, when we looked at it a while back, were things like uh, rooted Android television devices or uh, Amazon Fire Sticks, things like that. Yeah, a lot of set top boxes, anything that runs Android, you know, is, is susceptible to ADB vulnerabilities. There's a lot of lot of devices that you don't realize are Android. Well, also people will try and root them themselves and then not close up the remote port and somehow they'll get on the internet. So, so we're taking a look now at the most sources probing, the top 10 of those, and you'll see that uh, 445 is in the top. Uh, Telnet 23TCP has moved up by three, is in second place. 8291 is one of several ports associated with MicroTik routers. 22TCP um, is after that, then 80. 8728, I believe, is also related to MicroTik. Um, 1433, 8080 are ones we've seen before. 53 UDP is DNS. Typically, you see scanning for that when people are looking to amplify DNS, uh, to, sorry, when people were looking to amplify DDoS attacks. And then 80ICMP is ping is in 10th place. So taking a look at the scan sources on port 23 TCP Telnet, fairly stable over the last 15 days. Uh, the It seems that we probably hit a peak in a valley when we measured it, and that's why it seems to have gone up by three, but ultimately it really has not been that much of a change. Uh, so still still one of the heavy hitters on the internet in terms of both sources and scanning power. So like I said, Telnet really didn't change that much. So why did it move so much? Well, it turns out the ones, the numbers around it moved. Um, this MicroTik router, we did see some scanning for this starting around uh, the end of June. And it was a significant one. It bumped it up a few slots. Uh, and you can see it's returned not quite to the levels that we saw before, uh, but certainly nowhere near uh, the number of scan sources that we had been seeing about two weeks ago. So to me, that says that um, that's why the shift happened, not necessarily because Telnet exploded out of nowhere, uh, but because the contending ports just sort of dropped off the list. And we're taking a look again at 5555 remote debug bridge for Android. You can see some regular scanning. Um, there's a, a consistent floor of scanning devices and you can see it sort of ramping up slowly. Um, that could be because the, the botnet that's scanning for it is growing. You also see some singular spikes uh, around this. So that's probably either some sort of internet census or regular scanning on a schedule uh, as opposed to consistent scanning by something that's looking to infect. Yeah, it, looks, it does look like it's an almost a periodic. Yeah, it's not exactly every 24 hours, but like give or take a couple hours, it's pretty close. Just curious, is there uh, any uh, new vulnerability out for uh, the MicroTik routers, uh, which would explain 
Um, no, there are no new ones. There have been, I think there was one maybe a year ago. I did a little research on this for a previous episode, but no, I don't know of any brand new ones. I just think that there are enough of them out there that haven't been patched or reconfigured to prevent right, it. Right. Yeah. And the, yeah. the interesting right. thing about the, the microtech scanning is that um, they're scanning one port to get a certain like fingerprint to say that, yes, this is a microtech router, and they're pivoting to a completely different one and exploiting that. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.